0: Welcome to the Truesight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of Professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic-Sevenhusen. Today we're joined by a new member of the LCS Analyst Desk and one of the best writers in all of esports, Emily Rand. Welcome to the show, Emily.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, I'm really glad to have you on. Uh, You know, we... Haven't chatted for a while. I, th- I think in the first incarnation of this podcast, I had you on at one point, but it's been a pretty long time since we've like officially done any content together or, or talked. What have you been up to in the past few months? It hasn't been very eventful, has it?
1: Um, so the way that my contractor with ESPN, and I know other people have talked about this too. So basically, when the vertical decided that when they decided to shutter the vertical at ESPN where I was working... I was under contract through um, February 4th and basically the idea is that I would continue to get paid, but I could not produce League of Legends content because it would still be under ESPN's purview. Um, I'm not like super mad about this either. Like it, it makes sense from like a legal standpoint, especially if you're dealing with like corporations and stuff. So um, I am not someone who is made of money. And so I... Uh, you know, didn't do a lot of League of Legends content, despite the fact that I was still uh, watching as many games as possible. I tried to tweet as much about the Demacia Cup, for example, as possible and, and the Kespa Cup and stuff like that. But unfortunately, I have not been able to do a lot of content uh, until recently when um, my I, I basically exited. Like, we, we mutually parted ways and, uh, you know, now I um just a free technically freelance yeah so yeah and and also doing analyst desk
0: yeah so you've you joined the analyst desk uh you're going to be on in different segments i guess like not all the time not every day seems like they've got a bit of a rotating cast this time around which is mm-hmm. pretty interesting i think cool to see uh so you were on i think the first segment to start off the lock-in tournament uh and you were on what two Sorry. of the two of the show days
1: uh, I was on, so I was on countdown and then the entire analyst desk on Friday. And then I was on right. countdown on Sunday.
0: What was that like? Was it, was it really different from the stuff you'd done before? Did you feel like it was any higher pressure?
1: Oh, it was, it was way, way more pressure. Uh-huh. especially like when I got my assignments and I was like, why are they having me lead the lock in tournament? This is a terrible idea, <laughs> um but my own, uh, self-deprecation aside that I cannot help sink into everything, which is bad. You should not do it. I shouldn't do it either. Um, the, it, I mean, it, it's obviously like way more pressure because, uh, you know, I, I think one of my biggest flaws in terms of being an on-camera person is that I try to add too much context or talk too much about things, uh, when you need to be a lot more concise and really precise with your language so hopefully as i continue to get more reps in with the analyst desk and with countdown that will will come and i know there are people on the right side that are really willing to help me with that which is good um
0: so yeah i mean
1: i I was i was really terrified i think it went pretty well i think i could have been better like i actually think it could have been a lot better but as a as a debut, I think it wasn't bad, which is which is like more, you know, better than I expected, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I, I thought you did great. I think uh, a lot of people really enjoyed your time on there and we're happy to see you on there in the first place. Uh, I, I'd be kind of curious what, you, you know, what your heart rate was doing. Because I know for my part, like I haven't done anything nearly that high pressure yet. But like the, the Evil Geniuses free agency show that I was on, my heart rate for that mm. entire like three, four hours was just through the roof, like absolutely maxed out the entire time.
1: Yeah. So we were talking about sleep earlier, like off (laughs) off camera. And um, I don't usually sleep a lot anyway, but what happened was I couldn't sleep the night before, which is fine. So I was watching LPL. Um, and And then the, like, where I should be napping, like post show, pre getting up for LPL, I couldn't, I just couldn't sleep because I was like on a, A um, like performance high. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, the thing I could compare it to the most, which is a probably really dumb comparison, but I did a lot of musical, musical theater when I was in high school and that's actually what it reminded me of the most, right? Like, you know, you do so much prep that people don't see off camera, um, and you're just constantly you know, like you're working up to this, you're practice, 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 and then you get on and your mind just goes blank and it, and it goes. And then, uh, afterwards you're just kind of left on this like high until you crash. Yeah. I don't know if it's like that for other people, but that's what it was like for yeah. me.
0: No, it's like that for me, for sure. <laughs> well, let's get into some actual League of Legends discussion and content here. I think obviously we, we had the opening week of lock-in, um, there's been a lot of other stuff, too, but I'd really love to, to kind of hone in on LCS. I think that's what being, you know, a, a member of the LCS analyst desk, and, and I focus a lot on North America, I think that's what people really want to talk about. And uh, I mean, the, the big story to me was Evil Geniuses, right? I came in and I had kind of, mm-hmm. I'd say, modest expectations for them. I thought they could do pretty well, especially in this tournament. A lot of veteran players who are going to probably not need a whole lot of time to ramp up, but man, did they look good.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, I think they still made uh, a lot of mistakes, but I think the thing that impressed me the most, and I've said this elsewhere, I said this on the analyst desk, I believe I said it to a few people in the Hotline League chat uh, a few days ago, um, but the thing that really impressed me the most about EG was definitely the coordination that they had in mm-hmm. team fighting, and especially in that first game where... My expectations, I think, were similar to yours, where it was like moderate, um, kind of like, okay, I don't really know what to expect from this team. They might be good. They might be terrible, depending on synergy. Um, this is this is a tournament where I know people are having a ton of hot takes about it, but I treat it like Demacia Cup or I treat it like Kespa Cup, where I'm just looking at how our roster is looking at the patch, You know, what's their synergy looking like, Um, this is lower stakes chance to try stuff out. And the thing that impressed me the most about EG was the fact that their team fighting was like surprisingly well coordinated. Um, I think part of that is because they, you know, for example, everyone's talking about Impact of There's a, uh, team fight top side in their first game where it's just so it's such a perfect visual example of what impact brings to a team fight uh he has this this flank where he like basically waits out um he, he comes in like at the perfect time where if he'd come in earlier maybe they still would have won but it just wouldn't have been as as dominant like this was the team fight that kind of shut everything down eg was already ahead um i think uh, uh jizuke had in that game a really good understanding of the range of his stunt. And that was actually super necessary for that team fight composition to work. So um, that that's the thing that impressed me the most. Actually, it was like I was like, okay, I did not expect this team to be this well coordinated in their fights. So any other mistakes that they made in in laning phase or in early rotations, I think the the team fighting and skirmishing that they showed more than made up for it.
0: Yeah, and I think impact plays a pretty big role in that. You know, playing his his Renekton and. And being able to, I think, by coming out of the lane stronger and ahead, he w- had that much ability to kind of position himself on the map where he wanted. Like he would have the first control of the wave so he could get into the right flank position. Before that, he could be contributing to setting up the vision in the place he wanted. And like he really did control a lot of that game through his team fighting presence. Um, and from what I saw, there's actually the, the run it episode this week is going to be all about impact. And one of the things that I throw right. in there at the end of it is looking at a couple of the things, about his stats as a Renekton compared to what we normally see at a Renekton's, and way less farming, but a lot more damage because he played it entirely to like set up for those team fights and influence the team fights and get right in the middle of things. Uh, and he's always been an amazing team fighter, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's always been a strength of his. Like, if you look at where people can can kind of like more heavily criticize impact, I think it's in his champion pool. Um, And occasionally in his laning, but I think, you know, uh, I guess he makes mistakes in lane like anyone else, but I actually think he's like a a pretty solid laner, especially in some some of these losing matchups. Obviously, again, depending on champion matchup uh, and pick. But I like that you touched upon top lane just more generally because I actually think across multiple regions, like we always joke that top lane is an island, uh, but I actually think the top lane matchup has become pretty important um, to look at in terms of the way teams are playing the map. Even if it's, oh, you need to get first push top side because we're going to be doing a dive on bot side um, where the jungler is like pathing down and we're trying to get a bot lane ahead. Um, And that's actually been super important, I think, across all regions. Um, I've seen teams both struggle and have success with it in LPL. Uh, I actually think it's one of the reasons why EDG is doing pretty well right now is because They've actually been kind of pathing towards top side first, making sure Flandre is ahead, and and then Flandre can TP down for some of those uh, yeah. bot lane dives. Uh, and I think that is another thing that EG seemed to understand. Again, I don't think the execution was always perfect, but I think they they did understand like how to use impact in that top lane to affect the rest of the map uh, in addition to team fights, which was which was cool. Like it's cool to see. I guess like a lot of people are always stuck on LCS and being like, well, LCS makes like so many mistakes. Um, and I, and I do believe that's true. Like I think people should kind of accept that as like a default baseline, but then putting that aside, I think it's really interesting to always, if you can see visually the setup that people are trying to go for, then you can kind of pick apart what they're doing a little bit better. Uh, and I also think you could definitely see what EG were going for and when they did execute it really well,
0: it looked great. Yeah, for sure. How did you feel about uh, Jazuke's contributions to what they did in the week overall? Like you mentioned him knowing his Sinjo ranges really well and using it. I think he had some pretty good, um, some situations both where he contributed to an engage, but also to some disengages and preventing Cloud9 from making their comp be able to combo the way they wanted. Uh, we also did see a few moments where it was kind of classic 2020 Jazuke, just kind of randomly get caught and die. Uh, what did you think of the way he played overall? Was was he one of the highlights to you, or one of the lowlights? Or
1: uh, I mean, neither. I think people tend to like s- separate Jizuke into like uh, we joked about this with Bin last year. I joked about this with Bin, the the senior top laner, with my friends, where it was like the duality of Bin: either he'll like pop off or he'll suck. I think people uh, see Jizuke in a really similar way, um, but I also think. The way that he was used last year was really like eg was like you are the you know you are the side lane person you know where your job is to be the the side lane distraction while the rest of the team does something so we can leverage it for uh you know to trade objectives or whatever and when that wasn't always working for them they were like okay we'll we'll bring in someone who's like a quote unquote like more control mid person which um, like, I, I don't think that's necessarily a fair assessment of him, but I think yeah. that's kind of what he's been pigeonholed into in the community. Uh, I thought he was like, fine. He had really good, I, I mean, he had, again, like he had some really great moments. Um, and I think the big thing with Jizuke that people have always said about playing with him is that he has a really good understanding of what's going on on the map, even if it doesn't necessarily show in his playstyle. Uh I think, I hope that they continue to keep up this kind of team fighting skirmishing look because I really like it. Uh, I don't know if again, that's just because I have LPL brain, but I also feel like if they, if they, if they're communicating with him that well, and you have like both impact and Jazuke controlling these team fights, that it is basically allowing for definitely to just, you know, like really, really pop off. And I think he was kind of the, the point person that everyone was looking at and being like, well, we don't know about definitely. He's kind of bad. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that they set up so well for him this past week allowed him to pop off. Right. So uh, I thought that was also really cool to see. And so if, Jazuke and Impact are communicating with the rest of the team, and they keep going for these like kind of team fight skirmishes. I really like the way that EG is looking.
0: Yeah, and I think Ignar plays a really big role in that too. Like being uh, mm-hmm. such a good engage player and somebody who loves to get out on the map and join those skirmishes and lead those skirmishes, but then also you know be a team fight engager and all of that. Then that creates these situations where it definitely just has to fill in the gaps behind it, right? Which is I think exactly what you kind of want out of a team fighting bot laner. Somebody you don't want to put too much pressure on. He doesn't have to smash the two v twos. He doesn't have mm-hmm. to like make big flashy plays of his own. Just fill in all the space that Impact, Jazuka, Ignar are going to create for you. And you know, you're gonna (laughs) don't throw. That's kinda all they're gonna ask from him, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I think the the true test for definitely is gonna come in season, especially when um I presume just because this is I feel like where Ignar is best, that I presume they're gonna try to be unlocking him from Mm -hmm. Lane to go roam around on some of these like tanky initiators that are really, really in meta right now. Like it's it's a great meta. I pointed this out as a great meta for Sword Art. It's a great meta for Ignar. Um, and so the big test for Definitely is going to be like, okay, how do you do it? You know, how do you do in the 1v2? Like how how gracefully can you keep, can you kind of hold lane? Yeah. Um, so that will be the big test for him in terms of like how he manages uh, bot wave and, and bot lane pressure and when impact or not impact. Oh my gosh. When Ignar rooms um that's another thing that i'll be looking at from from eg going into the regular season
0: and i think also the more they end up facing teams that want to play through the bot side i think there are you know a lot of teams historically it's been almost all of the teams that wanted to play through bot side almost all the time and i think that's shifting up a little bit and that's really good but you know when you come up against tactical and core jj and they're like we just want to you know crush through the bottom lane and control the bottom side of the map, and they make it hard for Ignar to even get out of lane in the first place, seeing how they handle that is going to be really important to me too. Um, I think, you know, EG do have the probably the best weak side top laner in the league. They can try to play through the bot side as well, but I don't know if that's really, like, I think that's one of the interesting things for me about what what holds EG back from being a, like a top three in the league contender is, okay, maybe they can start to play through Ignar as a, or through impact, sorry, um, on the top side, and play through him in lane uh but then and and leave Deftly on, on the weaker side of it but I I think it's better to let Impact be playing the weak side but do you really want to make your bot lane your strong side when you have Deftly like I don't know it's a little it's a little weird to me how they're going to balance all of that out so that's one thing that I think the more coordinated the teams get the more practice they get seeing how that dynamic plays out on the team is is going to be definitely very I'm, I'm curious how they're going to balance it
1: I think that's also uh, to touch upon a point I made earlier. I think that's also where, how how is impact going to affect the bot side of the map through teleport timings? Cause if he gets, like, if they keep putting him in favorable matchups, um, he can get the push top side first, and then um, you you know you, you pass downward and you go for a, a bot lane dive. Um, so that is another way that they can kind of leverage him. Obviously, it still has to be a good meta for for impact because um, yeah. I think if there's if there is one thing that you can like the major criticism you can levy against him is that his champion pool is not always a meta, and he's going to he's he's just going to look a lot better on certain champions than others. So um, right now, where he is in a good spot with his champion pool, I think you can leverage that topside pressure into making sure yeah. that. Uh, definitely can get ahead in in Botlane and then unlock Ignar. Like there's definitely a run of play that works really well for them that way. Sure.
0: Yeah, and, and then Svenskeren I think uh, had you know didn't show up the best in 2020. Seems like he's doing okay so far. Uh, I I had I've had a hard time reading kind of what to what to think of him lately, what to expect from him. What What did you think of the way he played this weekend? Because I didn't I didn't really get a clear really clear sense of what to think from him.
1: Um, I mean, I think Spence Garin is like someone who, how do I put this? Is that of he's like overrated or underrated? Um, I hate both of those. Uh, I think, I think Spence Garin can be really, which you could say about a lot of junglers, whatever. Um, I think Spence Garin is going to be really good if he has strong coordination with his team, which mm. sounds like kind of a cop out answer, but <laughs> I think if he is happiest, it's when he can actually kind of farm up on, for example, a, a champion like Graves, uh, as opposed to being in lanes like permanently all the time. Yeah, and I think if you have a team like EG that seems to be a little bit more focused on, like, teamfight coordination, if you can figure out that early game part where you do just kind of let Svenscarin farm up to, to Mythic, um, I think that's actually, again, a really good setup for this EG team to succeed. Uh, I don't know if the meta will stay that way. Um, no. It's not that I think Svenscarin is, like, Bad at interacting with his lanes. I just think it seems like, based on his history, the preferred state for him is to kind of use that farming style and then use his advantage in in skirmishes and team fights. Um, yeah, I think maybe that when, maybe that's me mischaracterizing him, but like that's what I have seen over the past few years.
0: Yeah, I think like if you go back a little further, what I what I saw out of since like in his MVP season when he was at his best was when he could really path defensively a lot of the time, when he could recognize, mm-hmm. okay, the enemy team is setting up for this play. So I'm going to path in a way that I arrive to counter that play so that mm-hmm. either they can't pull the trigger on it at all, or they try and I just like, you know, counter gank it or whatever it is. And and usually that meant sneaky is farming under his own tower and Sven is protecting him from a dive. Uh, and that worked out really well for cloud nine because sneaky was usually farming under his own tower. And so, you know, that, that, some of that stems from Svenskeren. I think a lot of it stems from the team around him. And some of it comes from the meta as well. Um, but I, I'd like to see him be able to a little more about, you know, you, you can still have that farming up to six and covering the enemy plays, you know, and, and being a little bit more of a counterpather in a sense. But I, I, I like to see, I, I personally prefer the style um, where you're applying more forward pressure and when you're pathing to, to create and earn something rather than to deny something. I, I I appreciate both, <laughs> but uh, but I've seen a little bit more of the denial path in Crimson Scaren when he's at his best, and I'm I'm curious whether that's going to be true on EG or whether it's going to be you know something else. That's the way I've seen, yeah. it. but I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens the rest of the tournament with EG. Um, you know how they continue to 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 work together. At a certain point, um, you know that's gonna the rest of the teams might kind of catch up to them or maybe they won't we'll find out uh i think a, another team to to move the topics along here a little bit another team that i to me impressed but not in a similar you know uh, not on a similar scale maybe because they started from a different point of expectations but golden guardians came in everybody's mm-hmm. saying this team's going to be 10th uh and they did not look like a 10th place team whatsoever
1: I mean, I I guess my like hot take there is like I still think that it's gonna even out, and they probably will be a tenth place team. But um, <laughs> come on, I, I, I think I think uh, I know. I'm mean, uh, I actually love GGS uh, GG now, not GGS. Um, I, I think the cool thing about Golden Guardians that I really loved. About their play this past week, and I said this on uh, Countdown and Analyst Desk, but I'll reiterate it here. I feel like too many rookies that come into LCS have really hesitant playstyle or default to this kind of passivity that, in my opinion, kind of plagues North American League of Legends mm-hmm. generally. And I, you know, like even if you are dying because you're diving tier one and it just doesn't work out for you. Like, you know what, Niles, like, I appreciate that you went for that. Like I actually really, really do, because hopefully the next time you know how to execute it better, you know, like you're, you're never going to learn if you're not that aggressive. And I feel like there's always this, push pull in, in coaching and NA, I guess, where I've heard conversation, overheard conversations about this at scouting grounds when I was kind of a fly on the wall, but it's like, what do we teach these players? Like, do we want to facilitate the fact that they're, you know, playing really, really recklessly, but, and that's not optimal. Uh, Do we want to curb that and be like, okay, no, like now you reset. Now you do this. Now you do this. Now you do this. And, and have a set plan. um, And then, you know what happens is when the people don't follow that plan players get kind of lost or do you just kind of want to let them make these mistakes and encourage that kind of proactivity and see what happens and I think um I know I brought this up on desk as well but for people that don't didn't hear it I actually liked their Camille Gallio pick. I I've liked their drafting not because it's like objectively good like the in the um in the tsm game i actually think tsm's draft was better and it as long as tsm uh was able to scale enough and or set up around objectives first uh they were kind of always going to win that but this draft which was uh camille talia galio kalista and um, thresh I think it, it tells them what they need to do it, it still tells the opponent what they're going to do but for a team that is uh this young and or this lacking in professional experience with the exception of Styxay and actually newbie, which people should know he has won I believe three domestic titles um the this this tells me like okay we're, we're facilitating Niles. We are iconic is responsible for interacting with his lanes early, particularly on top side. And, you know, we know how our team composition is going to work. And so I like, I like this for golden Guardian specifically, even though it's in my opinion, objectively worse than what TSM had. If that makes sense. Like I, my goal is to try to talk about draft in a more context based way in terms of what this team can succeed with and and what this team might want to do and who are the players on this team. Um, So Mm -hmm. even though this is pretty telegraphed in terms of what they want to do, I like that for them because it's easy for them to execute. It can help improve their synergy. Um, I think it, it makes the most of, you know, like a, a blaze olive paying attention to his side lanes. It makes the most of iconic who honestly was not on my radar as much as Niles was, but definitely now is. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to facilitate Niles in the top lane because he's a really aggressive laner. So I, I love, I love this coming out of them. And I think if there's one thing that I could give golden guardians credit for it's that they really took like a great approach to this tournament. And they're like, we're going to pick things that we know we can execute. We're going to make the most of the pieces that we have and the way we think we should play. And I I like that they actually seem to have an identity coming into this, which is definitely something that I did not expect.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot here. Uh, From the draft side, I mean, the the Golden Guardians TSM draft, I think one was pretty polarizing. I actually, Mm -hmm. my perspective on it was I, I really didn't like TSM's approach to that draft because it gave away a lot of active control of the game. And it would, and I totally get like, I think Kelsey and I had a bit of an exchange on Twitter about it, you know, and her, point being, <laughs> it's, it's not. I at think all...
1: Kelsey and I agree on this. So. Yeah. It's, Just
0: and it's, worrying. It, and it, no, absolutely. And, and it, but the, the, I think the, the, the conversation itself is, is pretty interesting because my take mm-hmm. was the Golden Guardians draft had the opportunity to, uh, to be actively controlling the game, we're the ones who are going to get ahead in the lane phase. And as long as we do everything correctly, we're going to be the ones kind of in, in, in control of the game from there. And on the TSM side, it's, yeah, but the moment you make a mistake, we outscale you and we win. And so I, I just personally, I guess it's a little bit of a stylistic thing. I don't like having a comp where we need one mistake from you and then we win because you're saying we need you to make a mistake, right? Uh, or at least we need you to play to some lower level of efficiency or, or, or optimization. Um, and that's just like a mentality thing, I think mostly. But it's completely fair to say, yeah. But every team is going to make at least one mistake, and especially a team of young players. So it, as long as we outscale, like, you know, it, it, I, I completely get that perspective too. And I think it's, I think it's a, a, a fair perspective, especially given the team they're playing against. But I, I, I do give, I think, a lot of credit to Golden Guardians for drafting a comp that was kind of like. In a, in a way, I think, difficult to play in the sense that we can't make any mistakes or we're going to lose this thing. And I think it's a lot really easier short. with a team of young players to go in and say, like, we're going to play the comp that is, like, everybody press R at the same time, uh, just don't throw, we'll all press R, and, you know, easy to execute kind of thing. And and that that gives you less room to grow and learn, I think.
1: Well, I mean, wait, how is how is Golden Guardians also not press R comp? Because it's community well, it was, value.
0: Because to me the, the, the to me the best way to play that comp was through the side lanes in like not necessarily a hardcore one three one but split pushing and I thought the big mistake Golden Guardians made that game was allowing the game to be turned into neutral objective fights. I think taking dragon fights was their their mistake that cost them all the tempo they had. They could have just traded dragons for side lane towers and extended their gold lead and won before the soul became relevant. That was what I wanted to see them do in that game that they didn't do. I didn't think it was execution okay. in the team fights so that was the problem.
1: Yeah, but- I mean, I think so. So, my thing about this TSM comp and the reason why I think it's better is because um, I think this is probably where Kelsey and I are in agreement. Uh, even outside of looking at the team comp, like in lanes or whatever, if this composition sets up around a fight, it's just really hard, even with all of the engage that Golden Guardians have, for them to. Um, mm-hmm. For them to like break that setup, um, so I mean yeah. I also understand why they went. See, I, I keep thinking about how awesome the Jin Maokai uh, combination is, and so now yeah. I just want everyone to pick it. <laughs> so I'm looking at this and I'm like, maybe a Saurdar had gone Imperial Mandate Maokai in this game too, uh, <laughs> but no, <laughs> but no. Uh, yeah. I just really love that team setup. Anyway, that is and it. I, and Not I do think that the
0: Callista was a bit of a problem with that Golden Guardians comp because I think having more wave clear made and a little more range there probably would have been more beneficial to the way I wanted to see them play the comp. So I think there's a little bit of a, you know, that that was one kind of difference in kind of what their theme of their comp was relative to what I was thinking it should be. But in general, I think golden guardians did like give themselves some things that they had to execute on. I think they did fairly well. I, I, you know, earlier on you were talking about, about um, Niles and like playing with confidence and, you know, taking some risks. It was interesting because I actually interviewed him earlier this week and and you can go on. It. Yeah, you can go on the YouTube channel and you can watch that. And one of the things he said is he thought he didn't play with quite enough confidence. And there were sometimes uh, uh, he he used the phrase like referring to playing against Alfari specifically that you know I, that he he didn't take some of the chances he could have. And I should just kill people when they're inting. He said like he should have the confidence that even though he's playing Alfari hey, he felt like Alfari mm-hmm. was inting in a couple of cases. He should just jump in and kill him. Which I'm like, okay, because my previous interactions with Niles have been like mega confidence. And, you know, mm-hmm. he thinks he's one of the best top laners in North America. And for him to be taking this a little more like, oh, I was playing too humble, <laughs> was pretty interesting for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, you saw in the, I believe it was the TL game, uh, which, you know, was, was heavily in... Uh, in TL's favor by the end of it. But I think um, the thing that struck me the most about Golden Guardians and the reason why I think they still could be a 10th place team, no flame, because I'm actually super, I, I'm super excited about them. And I really love this team and I loved their approach this week. Um, is that, and this is something they'll learn with more practice, right? But within a young team, you see a, you see them get into a situation that they just have not been in before. And so they don't necessarily know how to set up for it. And I, I honestly wish I could remember the exact point in the game that this happened. Uh, I think it was maybe around a Herald fight. I was watching this game with Braz and he, he just said immediately like, oh no, they've never been in this position before. So they don't know what to do here. Um, and, you know, next time they'll know a little bit better what to do. And then the next time they'll know a little bit more what to do. And so I think if there's something to really look forward to, with golden guardians, it's seeing that like incremental improvement every week, because with every look, every different look that this team gets at a game state, they can learn from it. And you'll be able to see that visually across the entire LCS. Hopefully. So, um, so that's what I'm super excited about for this team and, and looking at like their development and the individual players development.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of development and players who can develop, I think you know we we saw a lot of young uh, or like inexperienced players coming in and, and getting their first reps. Uh, who are the ones that stood out to you the most? We've talked about Niles and Iconic already, but aside from those guys, who really jumped out to you as like the 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 most interesting new faces of the first weekend?
1: Yeah, so Iconic definitely. Um, uh, a Blaze Olive, uh, I thought was pretty interesting to watch as well. Um, I think they're, they're looking the way they're looking at him in terms of looking at translating whatever he's doing in mid to side lane pressure, which seemed like the way they wanted to play around him, I thought was really interesting. So I am, I I know like he's obviously done really, really well in, in Academy. um, So he was already on a lot of people's radars, but uh, I'm looking at him. And then obviously the other big one that we kind of touched upon with the analyst desk just because he came in with, I guess, comparatively low expectations and the team came in with like no expectations because they don't have their, they don't have their full roster um, was revenge. And if you look at even the games that IMT lost, I think the big kind of heartening thing for them, I guess, is that their two solo leaners looked um if not like outright good at least like okay we we know that these two are going to be the focus of there's something there right this team works yeah um and, and so in in that regard i think revenge played a lot better compared to general expectations of him and then insanity is someone that i've always really liked honestly uh just because he plays lane so much like his namesake and i know a lot of people probably remember some of the ill-timed, quirky packages from last year, but um, I, I do appreciate how how aggressive he can be in lane. And I know everyone's gonna point to that turret dive that he didn't get and turned into a just a double kill. Um, but, I, but I think uh, <laughs> I, I think again, like I really, really appreciate that from him and. Both him and Revenge were obviously Insanity's not working because he played last year. But um, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm looking at these two when I look at IMT and I'm like, okay, this is looking more interesting to me than what I initially thought from this
0: team. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I really hope and I think a lot of people should be thinking about is when we see these plays from the less experienced players and they come in and they do something that, you know, is a bit of a risk-taking thing, maybe makes them look a little silly if it doesn't work, don't harp on those, right? And I think that's something that has happened a lot in the past that we find the the mistakes or we find the the risks that don't play out and the the younger players or the less experienced players kind of get memed on for that and it anti-snowballs against them in fan sentiment and whatever else rather than just, you know, giving them some leeway, celebrating the things that did work out, kind of even applauding them for having that mentality. And like cheering them on, like encouraging them in it. And I think if we want to, as a content creation community and as a fan base, celebrate uh, the LCS for bringing in these younger players and looking more towards the future, then we need to be ready to kind of gloss over some of those less uh, happy-looking little moments and focus more on on the the positive things and try to tell those stories more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the there's been a lot of discussion about narrative just generally going from this offseason into LCS this year. I'm not really sure why. Like, I feel like it's always a discussion, but for some reason it's been more of a discussion this past year, uh, or this past offseason, rather. And I, I think this is also where the whole, like, LCS, LCS sucks is the worst major region, et cetera, et cetera, comes in, because I do feel like if you're looking at LCS compared to, the other major regions, it has actual physical barriers that are, are exist. Uh, and you have to take that into consideration. Um, if specifically just the ping on the server and the fact that the, the U S just generally is like such a massive country land mass wise that it would behoove right to have multiple servers because of that. Um, but we don't, and, I think you do have to accept that you're already working with like people who are saying like the level of play in LCS is significantly worse. Yes. But like, I'm not sure what pointing that out does. Like, like if you accept that as a baseline, then you can move forward and look at, well, okay. If we accept that, then how are these players improving from that? You know, like what are, What are we doing to, you know, foster our our native talent, which has been another major discussion and narrative going into this. Um, You know, what are we, what are we looking at if we're already working from and accepting that baseline level? Okay. Now what's the next step? And that's what I want to see people talking about more than like X person messed up this combination, because Hmm. let's be real. Like, and, and I hear this all the time from, coaches too. It's like pointing that out to a player. They already know they screwed up and they already know where they screwed up. So it's kind of pointless to be like, you screwed up here because it's, it's not something they don't know already. Um, And to touch back to, I guess to come full circle on like what I really want to see from a team like golden guardians, for example, I'll consider that a success. If I can look at these games in the lock-in tournament and them like midway through the season and be like, hey, they were in this situation all the way back here, right? And now they're in a similar situation and they learned how to improve. Uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, Insanity is in a similar matchup and this time he gets the the kill under turret and is able to back off and, and juggle aggro correctly and land all his abilities and, and have a better understanding of the range and stuff like that. You know, so, um, sorry, this is like a really rambling okay. answer, but it's something that I see a lot of people point out in the community and It's worth keeping in the back of your head, but also it doesn't necessarily help it when you're talking about how can, how can North America improve? Because I do think they are, we're obviously working at a lower baseline level, but then from there you should start talking about, okay, so now what can we do with what we do have? And Mm -hmm. if there's one thing, I guess, I hope that I can do on the LCS broadcast. It's, it's that. With the help of obviously like people like you, uh, people like Kelsey, who who really care about the development of North American talent that we that we already have in the scene.
0: Yeah, and I think like I think another way to to look at that or to talk about that is rather than trying to focus on a player's level of play, especially if they're uh, you know less experienced player, you want to focus on their trajectory, right? You want to focus on are they better than they were before? Are they continuing <laughs> to get better? Are they improving over time, right? Uh, And I think a lot of the times in the past we've had rookie players come in who didn't look good in the first month and a half, two months, even a full split. uh, And we're just kind of like, well, that's not working. We got to stabilize somehow. We can't afford to lose these games and they just never get their shot again. Um, Mm -hmm. There have been players who had like four games and that was it, right? Uh, And there's a difference between there are players who might get a few games because it wasn't intended for them to get those games in the first place. Like they were just a little band-aid while Plan A was still coming through. But there are others who seemed like, hey, we're going to develop this player and then panic mode, pull them out like, oh, no. Uh, And and I I think that's that's a big hope, especially with, I think, the new format this year where you where spring split, you know, continues on into summer split and you have a lot more opportunity for each individual game to not like tank your whole season. Uh, Hopefully that gives teams a little more breathing room and also the mindset shift of giving these players an actual opportunity to play out the year And as long as they're showing the right trajectory, you know, you can continue to invest in them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every younger player needs to be, you know, held on to. And, like, no, they can still, like, Mm -hmm. if they're showing the wrong trajectory, you sometimes do still have to move on from them. I'm not going to call anybody out, but there have been players like that where, like, okay, they seem like they're getting better. And now for the last four months, they've just been getting worse and worse. And, okay, it's time for us to move on. But Mm -hmm. uh, but I think trajectory is really the thing people need to look at and, and compare, like, and you're going to get a lot better read of that if you're inside the team, hopefully. But from the outside, we can still try to talk about it.
1: Well, and so many of these prevailing narratives have been decided after like one or two games. Um, and, you know, that that is really tough when, you know, for example, you are called up uh, presumably before you're like truly LCS ready and or it would behoove the team to actually keep you in Academy for maybe a little bit longer to get more experience. and But no, you're pushed up because this team is losing mm-hmm. and they need to swap something out. And then yep. you don't perform as well as expected. And then suddenly people are just thinking that you're bad for the rest of your yeah. career. Um, I think Saligo is someone that this has happened to. Uh, I think Fake God, uh, not as much, but kind of similarly is someone that this has happened to where people have kind of decided that the narrative around them is that they were not LCS ready, but that also Mm -hmm. means that they're not good. And I know Alarim spoke on this, uh, on the analyst desk, but I think it's a point that's really worth reiterating and like super important and he would know. Uh, so I'm paraphrasing what he said, but basically there's a world of difference between being called up because the LCS team is doing badly, uh, and you need to make a change because you need to win and they're just like okay you know academy team it's your time or like you it's yeah. your time you're you're being called in to be this kind of like band-aid over a, gi- a giant wound and it's not a situation that is particularly great for setting up a young player for success or instilling confidence in them and the point that alora made is that it's a world of difference between we are saying you are the team that we're starting with you are the players that we're starting with. We are giving you the practice that you need. Like even just getting like those reps in Scrim preparing for this tournament makes a world of difference in how a player feels about themselves and about their performance and about how the team is approaching them being on a roster. Yeah. Uh and I think that cannot be understated either.
0: Absolutely. On the other hand, you get players who are promoted into a situation where everything is set up for them to succeed and look great. Uh, and then you have to judge how well they do with that. And we've you, had players who look who really well. Yeah. Like that. But obviously obviously, the player that I think a lot of people came in, and I, I have definitely contributed to the hype narrative here, but uh, he's also contributed to hyping himself a lot higher than maybe was wise, uh, is Fudge, who's been put into a situation on Cloud9 where he... You know, I don't think you could be in a much better spot to succeed as an individual player and to help you look good. But there was a lot of, I think, community sentiment going the other direction, whether it's a reaction to him talking himself up so much and and, you know, being so cocky coming in, whether it's just that expectations were set so high from people talking about him um, being the best player coming out of Academy. Uh, what did you think of the way he actually looked, though? Like, was he as bad as Twitch chat seemed to think he was?
1: I don't think so. I think a lot of it uh, kind of has to do, like, maybe some of it was nerves, but I think uh, a lot of it still has to do with actual matchup Um, and the fact that, like, for example, I think this is another place where we can kind of talk about community narrative. In the first game, obviously, he didn't look great. But they were also attacking Topside from the get-go, right? Because that's a winning matchup for Impact. And as we discussed already with EG, part of the reason why this team composition worked and what they were trying to do is play through, actually play through Topside, um, have Impact be more of a carry. Like I know people were joking about like, oh, we're seeing SKT Impact again. <laughs> um, and, and, and even if like, yeah, he's, he's not going to be like, oh my gosh, main carry Impact. Obviously he was carrying these team bites through yeah. his engages and his CC and just his knowledge of where to, you know, where to enter and how to flank and, and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And, and one think, of the reasons is that he got significantly ahead, right? Like yeah. wasn't he like dirty farming turret? Yeah, after, I was like, gonna say like,
0: like when you've got the enemy top laner uh you know, proxy farming you between towers while yeah. his jungler is on your krugs, like something has gone wrong with not just you yourself as the top laner. Like this is not Oh, the top laner is so bad. He's getting proxy farmed. It's like okay, something on the map overall here is wrong <laughs> that you did not want to happen, and you can't look at the individual top laner who's getting proxy farmed on and say like, oh, he threw this so bad. Like, which is not to say he was laning the best he could have, but this is this is a, an overall map state situation, not a one v one state.
1: Yeah, and and I think that kind of overshadowed. So like that game, the microcosm of that game, definitely, I feel like overshadowed his entire weekend yeah. performance. I feel like when people think of Fudge's performance, they think of the Renekton just just dirty forming the wave. Um, So, you know, uh, uh, that is something that's going to affect the way that people look at him. Do I think it's the debut he wanted? Obviously not. Um, I think when you're also looking at the C9 team, what I'm really curious about is how the mid-jumble matchup is going to go. And I think that's going to significantly affect uh, how Fudge plays. Um, and what they want to do with him. I mean, just comparing the way they were playing to the way EG was playing, EG went into this game, again, as we talked about with a specific understanding of like how they want to facilitate impact into playing some of these team fights and uh, how they want to transfer his, any pressure that he got topside into affecting the rest of the map. Whereas I didn't see a similar kind of understanding of what they want to do with their team composition from C9. And I think C9 is just, like, coming together, right? Like, they're figuring out how they want to play, and that's exactly what this tournament is for. So I know we know how much Perks's buyout is or whatever, and I know people are going to always rag on Sword Art and Perks because we know how much they got paid. But um, I think the C9 team is honestly going to be fine. All they have to do is figure out how they want to play around mid-jungle. And then I think Sven and Vulcan... Uh, re- refreshed people's memories in terms of yeah. how good of a bot lane they are. So it, this is a scenario where if you're looking at C9, maybe they're not looking for Fudge to to do the, what EG did with Impact here and transferring a ton of topside pressure to bot. Instead, they're going to rely on other spots on the map and then have Fudge come in later in teamfights and skirmishes. And that that's from from their draft. That's kind of how yeah. it, it's looking like how they want to play it. Um, it's also just not a bad way to ingratiate a player into a, a veteran lineup core like this, um, especially with the addition of Perks, who I think is still a player who's incredibly good. Guys, uh, I know people are love loving dunking on Perks, but he is still a phenomenal player. Uh, so uh, I think A, this roster will be fine, and B, I think they'll they'll try to find a role for Fudge that's more that as opposed to something like we saw from golden guardians, where they're just like, you're it Niles, like you play top lane super aggressively. And we're going to use that to our advantage because it works for us. Um, C9 doesn't have to do that because they have this like incredibly stellar roster, you know, behind them that it already has a lot of competitive experience. So um, that's another important thing that I kind of want to look at when I'm looking at Fudge's performance again, I don't think he had the debut he wanted. I of, don't think he played like super, super well. But I also think he got camped and he's being used in a different way.
0: Yeah, and I think they they will find opportunities to let him, you know, win some matchups and carry some games down the road. Uh, maybe even within this tournament. And I think that's one of the great luxuries Cloud Nine have is that they can play pretty much any compositional style or whatever given the players they have, the flexibility they have. But you don't need to throw him into that role right off the bat. And you don't need to, you know, rag on him if he gets put in a different kind of a role than you were maybe hoping and, you know, and whatever it is though. So, and I also think on the the perks front, uh, especially in that first game, the one that people are the most ready to jump on him about, he was just trying to style on an A, I think. And I think he'll, (laughs) he'll recognize that he can't just style on an A and like pick Yone and like win skirmishes that he has no right to win. Like his his button pressing isn't that much better than everybody else here. And I think to me that was the main thing I took away from that game is okay, perks, chill out a little bit. Like win by actually being better, not by thinking you're better. So we'll see if that changes. Also,
1: I will say for people who are saying that perks is like like I say that Blabber and Perks need to figure out their mid-jungle synergy. And I actually think it's yeah. super important for this team to work that they need to figure that out. But also people who are saying that perks can't as a mid laner play for the rest of the map and play for side lanes. Yeah, that's not true. That's just not true. <laughs> so, so like, uh, uh, I mean, I, I rarely say, like, something is just objectively not true. But yeah. in this case, like, he's, his understanding of side lanes is actually, like, super good. Yeah. Um, and he's really good at roaming. We saw him even roaming from bot lane uh, on things like the Yasuo. Uh, so, yeah. you know, like, I think once he once he gets the synergy with this team, they will be able to figure out a mid jungle that works for them and, and helps facilitate uh blabber. Because I know that's something that people have been kind of harping on with like, well, Niski helped the team. Um, <laughs> and he was really focused on the, the Doinby style of pushing forward yeah. and then going to side lanes, which um, I mean, I, I have a weird hangup, a weird mental hang up with the way that people boil down doing these play style but putting yeah. that aside uh, i think perks can play to the map really well and so yeah. even if you haven't seen it yet i think we've seen it in his play previously
0: well and i think i think sometimes that aspect of perks's play gets judged a little by the direct comparison to caps because they were they both mm-hmm. played the same role on that team at different times but the times when Perks was playing mid, you know, meta might have been a little different for some things. And also, I think Caps was a lot more of a, a player willing to completely sell out his lane to do things for the other lanes, uh, whereas Perks was a little bit more on the standard. But if your comparison on how much you're willing to sacrifice your lane to play the map is you versus Caps. I don't think that's a, a standard comparison, right because caps does not yeah. have a standard style on that caps also is very, very map active. but that doesn't mean like like perks can play all of those styles. no problem. Uh, and I think he'll I think they'll figure that out just fine.
1: Also can I just say as a tangentially related like uh, composition execution point um, and the the quote unquote doing B style in my opinion, and i know kelsey and i have ranted about this i believe on other content that we've done together but um a lot of it relies on mid jungle synergy because of the way that you're resetting mid wave and so if there's one thing that i would just like love to encourage people to look at when you're looking at how well mid laner plays the map for his team pay attention to like when they are pushing that wave when they are crashing that wave when they're denying creeps from the enemy mid laner and most importantly when the jungler is coming to path through mid to help reset that wave, mm-hmm. just just a just a out of there. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of nuance to that, right? And I think it takes a lot uh, a lot of learning of, of what to look for and how to look at it uh, and things like that. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how the rest of the tournament goes. What other teams kind of you know whether whether the teams that have looked good so far continue to look good, whether some others kind of jump in. I think we're gonna have. Uh, some players arriving that are going to shift things up a little bit. I, I believe Centaurin's yeah. going to be playing with team liquid. Uh, I think there are a couple other players who are, who are coming in, but I don't know all of the details on that. So we'll have to see. Uh, let's finishing things, things off here a little bit. I uh, did have a, a question come in uh, mm-hmm. from Zol24, who is wondering whether you believe that uh, referring a little bit back to what we were talking before the, you know, the, the starting level of the LCS and wanting to see any league of legends improve. Do you believe that based on the way things have gone with the LCS recently, should the LCS lose uh, uh, a first seed uh, or like, you know, not be able to get that first seed pool in Worlds consistently going forward?
1: I mean, I kind of hate the seeding. I kind of hate the seeding at Worlds anyway Um, because I think so much is decided by placement when the bracket draw is kind of busted. Like, for example, we saw... um, you know, uh, 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 basically a, a Chinese side of the bracket and a South Korean yeah. side of the bracket with like the EU team sprinkled in between. And I would have liked to see that mixed up a lot more. And I think we may have seen some different results. I've said this elsewhere. Um, so I think when you're looking at seeding for worlds, you also have to look at how faulty the draw system is in the first place, because it really heavily relies on results from a bracket that is pretty punishing and unforgiving since it's a single elimination and the way that teams are drawn. Um, I mean, that's a, it's a good question. I don't think NA will ever lose their pool one seed because of marketing reasons. Um, but do I think they quote unquote should I mean I think um if you're if you're looking at like okay what are we thinking about the the top teams in the world I think when you're looking at the world championship even despite the fact that it's supposed to be a culmination of everything that happens in the year you always end up with whoever is the best meta team at the time taking the tournament for the past, Mm. like at the very least since um, since 20, I mean, even 2017 was if you, if you listen to the way teams talked when they were at that tournament and they were like, okay um, you know uh, Samsung really learned a lot from RNG in terms of how they wanted to play their bot lane through scrims. And that ended up being the dominating meta And then you had teams like RNG and Samsung trying to approach it the same way the next year and getting beaten out by teams that played to their side lanes like G2 and like Invictus Gaming. Um, And that was the predominant meta. So like you can say that Invictus Gaming wasn't the best team in the world in 2018, but they were the best team for that world. Similarly, in 2019, I wouldn't say FPX were the best team in the world for the most of the year, but they were the ones that ended up winning Worlds. Um, Damon really, you can make an argument that they were the best team in the world for most of the year. Uh, their spring was really rough, but once the jungle meta became kind of more of a, a carry style, I think you saw Canyon really just take charge of that team and, and them just be the predominant best team. And I think you're still seeing that right now. Um, so when I look at world seeds, I actually think that it's always going to be the top the top seeds from China, uh, uh, South Korea and Europe looking at what is the best meta team of those, uh, and, and North America is a little bit behind. I also think that if a North American team was able to, like, if you have a really good North American team and you're able to hopefully go to worlds early and like actually scrim in a different environment against other teams, you will actually end up getting better and shifting. I think we even kind of saw that from Team Liquid at this past year's Worlds, yeah. despite the fact that they did not make it out of their group. I think the fact that they were able to adjust their read on the meta, which was so good for play-ins and then yeah. so bad for their group, um, was was really interesting and kind of speaks to the fact that if an NA team is able to to get that practice, they might be able to be better. I know this is a very rambling answer. That like I, it sounds like I'm avoiding the question, but I'm just trying to provide a lot of context because I think this is something that people don't think of when you're looking at a results-based seating. Which I, I mean, I don't know of another way to do it. Which is another problem with answering these questions because like you're like, well, Emily, how would you do it? And I'm like, I have no, expletive deleted idea. Uh, so, um, that is my rant about seeds uh do i think na will lose their seed no i don't because of obvious marketing reasons
0: um well i think there's you know there, there are marketing reasons but i think there are also competitive reasons i don't think i don't think na is bad enough to completely fall out of that group yeah
1: i mean that's true it's like you would add another chinese or south korean team probably uh if you're also looking at similar results of all four major regions at last year's worlds. Like if you're keeping that as your as your qualifier, um, you would be looking to add a team from another major region, not a uh, not There's a, not another
0: region that would be seed. Yeah,
1: because yeah, like you you still look at the way that North America performs compared to my uh, what you consider minor regions, and it's still above yeah. that. Um, I, I I would be curious to see how Vietnam did it this past tournament. It's kind of really yeah, that's a shame that we didn't get to see them. But
0: yeah, but it was what it was, and uh, hopefully, uh, I think things are on the right track that we will have a lot more uh, normality by the next Worlds, and then two Worlds from now in NA, you know, things will be completely different by then again, and NA is going to win it. So that's you know, <laughs> we're on the, we're on the that right was track. <laughs> Nobody can. That's an that. interesting. You don't have is, any specific counter arguments, do you? And
1: you get everyone to come to practice in NA on NA, so look you, and then like everyone, you know, falls to the false yeah. level of drag
0: them down to your level and beat them there. Yeah. Oh man. <clears throat> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I I do actually like legitimately. I have a lot of optimism about this year. I don't think that necessarily the level of the LCS is going to be way higher this year than it was last year. But I think the trajectory that it's being set on is absolutely the correct one. Um, and that's going all the way down to what's happening at Academy, what's happening at the amateur level. Uh, very excited about what's going to be going on at the proving ground circuit and all of that and the way that's going to bleed into the LCS over the next few years. Right. Not just within 2021.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I think for sure, uh, the level is going to initially be lower. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but and people should honestly expect that. Like I said, you should accept that um, as a baseline and then moving forward from there, talk about how, how improvements happen, whether you see visual improvements from week to week from these teams and these players. Uh, but yeah, do expect, do expect the initial, I mean this lock-in tournament, but then also the initial few weeks of, of LCS to be yeah. pretty rough because you do have teams like I pointed out, like Golden Guardians who just these players will not have been in a lot of these situations before in their, in their like Academy uh, or, or collegiate careers. And so, um, or, or even careers in, in other regions, uh, which is another reason why I'm actually yeah. really curious to see how Jose Diodo does, because yeah. he, uh, he has been used to having a team that plays around him and mm-hmm. his, his pathing, at worlds was you know a, a, again like i i'm making a lot of judgments based on what i saw from him at worlds because i didn't have time to go back and watch a lot of his games in region but from what i saw like it, it's you know it's pretty selfish because they're like okay you are very obviously our best player we're going to play around you and and i'm curious to see whether that continues when he's on FlyQuest or or how that team's going to do because they look really uncoordinated
0: yeah um, i think so, I think yeah. the, you know with with situations like that. I think the average level of the LCS will probably come down a bit, but I do actually still think the top two or three teams in the LCS might end up being better than what we had in 2020. So we there's there's the potential that we could get the best of both worlds there, right? Where the overall league is developing forward, but the top end is actually going to be an upgrade. But maybe not. That's <laughs> so way too early in the season to say that. But yeah, time will tell. You know the the classic throwaway line. Time will tell. Well. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Emily. What is the best way for people to follow your work?
1: Uh, Probably just follow me on Twitter. Obviously I'm on the analyst desk, but I don't know, you know, I never know like exactly when I'm going to be on there uh, until I receive my assignments. So, um, you know, look out for me on there, but you can also follow me at League of Emily on Twitter for any other ramblings and Sometimes I post LPL jungle pathing spreadsheets and maybe I'll start posting my NA ones
0: too. So, Great. Uh, you can support the TrueSight podcast at patreon.com slash Oracle's Elixir. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, and uh, anchor.fm slash TrueSight. And make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir discord server to talk League of Legends, esports, data science, and a lot more. Links for all of those things. And for Emily's Twitter will be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight Podcast with Emily Rand and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thank you for listening.